Hey everybody, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. Today I have Michael Shinets with me. He is the head of technical marketing for emerging technologies at Cisco. Michael, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing? I'm so glad to be on the show. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very glad to have you. I know that you've had some interesting roles. You were at Cisco, then you were at Portainer for a little bit. Now you're back at Cisco. Uh, Cisco is obviously an awesome place to work. I have a very fond yet uh catastrophic and nightmarish memories of working with several ASAs over my career. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's all cool stuff, man. And in this episode, we want to talk specifically about Kubernetes complexity. Um, this, I think this talk could be about six months long if we really wanted to. Uh, unfortunately, we'll run out of time, memory, and we need to eat in, inside of that time frame. Um, so <laughs> we're going to try to keep it a little bit shorter than six months. But Complexities. Now, I know where uh, the, the the department that you're running right now, you're dabbling in a bunch of stuff, but I'm assuming a lot of Kubernetes-based stuff as well. Yeah, so that's the thing that people don't realize is that, you know, there are things besides like networking and hardware at Cisco. So the area that I'm in is, is in emerging tech. And really in emerging tech, we focus on application-led things and usually in the cloud-native space. So previous to coming there, I was in charge. I was on the CTO team for cloud and compute leading cloud native. And, you know, then I kind of went to Pertainer and then I'm over here. And what people, you know, as I said, people don't really realize that there is this stuff going on at Cisco. So I keep really, really um, kind of abreast of the of what's going on in in this cloud native space. And I think what what we see out there is that a lot of people are looking and this is not the people that are in the space every day. The people that are just getting into the space are looking at it and saying, how do I get into this? How do I even approach it? You know, it's so complex. And really, at the end of the day, we have to think about what people want to get done. And what people really want to get done is they want to modernize their applications. So they want to take their legacy code and they want to put it up there and say, hey, I want to convert these to microservices. And they might not even know that. They really know what they want to know is I need to get to the cloud. How do I do that? And a lot of times they go down this, this kind of area that is around microservices. And then they're like, well, okay, well, I heard about this thing called Kubernetes. And Kubernetes, if you look at it, you're like, okay, well, let me just take a look at that page. Okay, well, they're mentioning CNIs, CSIs, proxies. And then what do you need on top of that? That's just even before you get going. And then there's this new language called YAML that you might not know about. Not really new, but new to them. And, you know, then you decide, okay, well, maybe I'll just go to a KubeCon because everything will be right there. And then you look at the CNCF page and there's like 2000 different projects around this. And you're trying to figure out like, what is it that, that I need to really, really get this application out there and to make it so that it's reliable and, and we can move things around and we can do all the canary stuff and everything that we want to do that we hear is the way to do it. And it becomes extremely complex. So I know I've said a lot there, but that's the basis of like what my thought process is there. Yeah, it's funny. I was recording a podcast episode this morning um, and the person that I had on, she is a mechanical engineering student and she's like, she transferred or is transferring from like a data engineering focus to a more like cloud native and DevOps focus. And it, it, that was exactly what we were talking about was just around the idea that, you know, uh, people kind of, well, as you know, technical marketing is extremely, extremely good right now. Um, so the, the whole idea with technical marketing is like, you kind of see this thing and it's like, oh, Kubernetes, like this is going to make your life super easy, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. 
And then you kind of get into it and you're like, wait a minute, this is an entire data center in itself. This is an entire piece and an entire stack in itself. So it's like, okay, what do we kind of do here? Like, do we focus on the storage piece? Do we focus on the infrastructure piece? Do we focus on uh, the networking piece? And then when it kind of gets down to it, you're like, okay, I need to literally focus on all of this. So it's like, there are a million different prerequisites that you actually need before you can even jump into utilizing what Kubernetes is supposed to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think people get too wrapped up in the technology sometimes. And what happens is, is you have to start to figure out what it is that you're really trying to do at the end of the day. You know, at the end of the day, you're managing these microservices that need to communicate with each other and you want high availability and high uptime. That's what you got to think about. What's going to, what's going to give you that capability in a manageable way. What a lot of people do is they, they, they start down a technology path, they, be it Kubernetes or others, and they'll go way down that path. And they'll like, okay, what are best practices? And how do we set this up and do all this stuff? And they start to forget about what is the core thing that you're trying to do? What is the core business driver around that? And so, you know, when that happens, you have these people that go down this path and, and they forget all about it. And then they like, you know, they, they start to not realize that, okay, well, we have this whole application to manage now and who's going to manage it and how are people going to continue to manage it even after I'm gone? I'm the person. So you have to think about that too, because, because as you get better with, with some of the stack, you may be able to kind of stitch together some of these open source packages and kind of bring them all together. But then you have to think about as a team in a company who's managing it, what happens if there's problems that arise and what's supportable. So it's interesting right now. We're in a really interesting time because the economy is not that good for tech. Tech is kind of falling out. You know, there's a lot of tech companies and especially in CNCF that answered problems that people had that were very technical, but might not have a lot of business value. So you're going to see a lot of those companies kind of fall out, unfortunately. And I'm friends with a lot of these companies, so I feel bad about it. But, you know, you have to consider that as you're bringing all this up, like what is it that's supportable and what has business value? And you're starting to see a lot of things converge. And now people have to start to really, really think about that. So I think we're going to see a big change in that whole cloud native approach in the next, you know, six to 12 months too. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. Well, you brought up several, obviously, but <laughs> one one that really stuck out to me was everybody's very focused on the technology piece right now, and everybody's focused on getting the environments up and running. But what about in six months, or what yeah. about in five years? You know, the Kubernetes landscape isn't a few VMs with a Linux distro on it that can run for ten years. Yep. It's not the reality of the world that we live in right now. So i I often feel like People are either, you know, if, if we're thinking about, you know, the scale at which uh, people are comfortable with Kubernetes, right? All the way on the left, you got the people that are just getting started with Kubernetes, just jumping into it. And then all the way to the right, you got the people that are running 200 node clusters, all these things. But in the middle are, are the, the majority of folks that are like, okay, we need to get this thing up and running. We need to get our application deployed. But they're so focused on the technology and they're so focused on getting the application up that they're not thinking about the technical debt that may occur in six months or a year or five years. So people aren't thinking ahead, I think is like kind of what you're saying, or maybe more or less of what you're seeing right now. 
Yeah, I think people aren't thinking ahead and they're not thinking about the support aspect of it, too. They're just thinking, hey, I'm extremely technical and I can create this great solution by tying all these things together and it'll work awesome. But they're not thinking about like, okay, well, who else on my team can manage that? And who yeah. and how is it going to be managed later on? And I think that's a big part of it that's that's extremely you know concerning from my point of view. And the other part about the economy is that as the economy shrinks in terms of tech, there are more bigger companies are looking to have less resources, unfortunately, and and not as skilled resources. So you need less people to do more. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a big problem when you have these solutions that are highly technical. So it's it, it becomes a really, a really, really big problem there. Yeah. And I think the other piece is like, it feels like there's a new product or platform or tool that's coming out every week that it's like, this is going to solve this problem. This is going to solve that problem. And although it's great, there is, like you said, I mean, there are so many different tools in the Kubernetes landscape alone. I got to find the link that CNCF link, but you know, you know, the one where like you go to it and it brings up, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, Like it's like all these tools and it's like, what do you do here? You know, and and I think that's where the complexity kind of comes into play because you and I have been in tech to the point where we we remember like you could be the Active Directory person, you yep. could be the Exchange person, you could be the Windows Server person, which was broad in itself. Yeah. But now it's like you can't be the Azure Active Directory person, you can't be the Azure Virtual Machine person. Like it doesn't work that way. If you're if you're in this space today. And your title is something along the lines of something, something DevOps, something, something SRE, something, something platform engineering. You're expected to know 10 to 20 tools out of the gate. Yeah. So, and I think this is where the chicken and egg scenario comes in with the complexity around just, you know, Kubernetes, but everything in general, where it's like, you have to know these tools right out of the gate. You have to get these tools and these platforms working right out of the gate. Number one how do you plan for the future if you can barely plan for the present? Number two, how can you plan for the future if you don't even know if these tools and these platforms are going to be around? So it's like, you know, I often get asked the question, well, what do I plan for? And it's kind of like plan for, for something to go down in six months or for things to not exist in six months, you know, have the basics, like have your Kubernetes manifest readily available because if, you know, the EKS service doesn't work or the AKS service doesn't work, spin it up in EKS or an AKS. Have the core things available and ready, but you can't put all your tools in one basket, so to speak, right? Because it's everything is moving too fast. Too many different tools are coming out. Too many different tools are going away and you can't plan for it. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that I mentioned a lot. And I, and I also think there's there's also another area where Kubernetes is a big thing. And as they see features that they think they can add to the core, that product that you might have used as a stopgap might get added as part of the core. And what is that? What happens to that company that created that solution that you know might be pulled into there? You know, it's 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 a huge thing. And I and I and I often worry about that. The other thing is is you know it's funny because uh, being in this area for a while and and being at Cisco and in you know ETNI and and all these other areas it, and and having a podcast it gave me a lot of accessibility to the the creators of a lot of these solutions and what's really neat is I kind of geek out on it is like the history of why these tools come about I could probably do a whole podcast honestly on the history it'd be really cool to do actually but 
you know, it's when the most of these products came from Google at some point, you know, and it's funny because when they're at Google and they created these products, they really didn't intend for people to edit the YAML, you know, uh, by itself. There was some other process that's editing that. And everybody else took that and said, you know what, we're just going to edit the YAML and do all this kind of stuff. But in reality, there are other systems, other things that interact and other, you know, so it's, it's not even really the intended use case of, of how these things or the, the kind of engagement that these things were supposed to have. And so I find it really interesting how things like come together and, and might not even be, you know, what was intended, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I think you, you bring a good point there. Like, number one, you don't know if the tool that you're building is just going to be put into Kubernetes. Number two, you don't know if it's going to be relevant. I mean, even look at like something like pod security policies that was deprecated and is now completely removed in version 1.25. People were banking half of their security implementations for Kubernetes on pod security policies. Yep. Now... It's not there anymore. So now we have OPA and we have Caverno or however you pronounce it. But what happens when one of those goes away? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, the landscape is pretty nuts right now. And, you know, here's, so I'm, I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to bring up a point that I think people aren't thinking about all that much and I think is super important that they should be implementing it, implementing it in their organizations. So the second thing is, well, then, okay, how about uh, trying to focus on a specific platform? So like, for example, let's say you go the Azure route, use just AKS, use just Azure Monitor, use just Azure Insights, because these tools are far more uh, most likely going to stick around than a lot of the, the other ones, right? Because they're embedded into a platform. But here's the thing, as we know, with the cloud, things go away all the time. Yep. New things get created all the time. So that's that's not even a comfortable approach either. So here's the thing. You're not going to be comfortable on either side of the spectrum, which is why I say more organizations at this point must invest in R&D teams. They must invest in teams that are specifically looking for what's coming in six months, what's coming in a year, that are literally their jobs are to do research and to test the different technologies and the different implementation methods for your current stack. That way, that's going to at least give you some futuristic, not approaches, but futuristic implementations of somebody saying, hey, listen, this tool's great. We're using it now, but we might want to look at this in six months or a year. Or, hey, this tool's great, but it's being deprecated. This piece of it is being deprecated in three versions. We need to start preparing for it now. The DevOps folks, the cloud folks, the SREs, the platform engineers, they don't have the time to sit there and do that unless you have a dedicated high velocity team that's saying, okay, you got five of these teams, one person on each team, their whole job is just to do R&D. But that's not going to be the case for a lot of organizations. A lot of organizations are going to have to have a dedicated team or teams specifically for R&D. I think that's like the, the best way to future proof at the end of the day. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's the job a lot of a lot of the architecture teams, too, is to kind of design that and spec that out. But you do need the kind of R&D to test and, and verify and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it really, at the end of the day, things are going to change. Things have morphed since since I've been around, you know, in the early days. You know, I started with BBSs and, and things like that. You know, it's changed a lot since then. 
uh, probably shows my age. But at the end of the day, the best thing to do is is to plan. What what is your plan for six months out? Pick a time period, decide what that time period is, and go with the stuff that you really can take an educated guess on. You know, so those are the ones, those are the, you know, if you're going into CNCF, look at the projects that have a lot of stars and a lot of development, and you can see there's active development, and then they have some kind of backing and look at their VC funding. Uh, look at, you know, how many people have have adopted it, their level of adoption. So there are things you can do to kind of get that educated guess around it. But even saying that, you never know what's going to happen. Look, I'm a huge crossplane fan. I love crossplane. Crossplane, they know they, you know, I'm friends with those guys. They're great guys. But you never know. I mean, Kubernetes could decide, hey, we're gonna, we're just gonna implement crossplane in Kubernetes and they can be out. And then you have to plan for that. But you know, I don't think it's gonna happen, but you know, you never know. So you have to plan for those kinds of things. So I think what you're saying is is really valid in that, you know, you really do. I mean, planning is is the best part of it, is is that's the only way it's gonna save you. Yeah, and I think the unfortunate reality is that not a lot of people are doing that. And it's it's nobody's fault because here's what happens. Like you said in the beginning of the call, engineering teams are trying to do way more with a minimal amount of resources, aka people. So these people are already under the water. They don't have the time to sit there and do R&D. They unfortunately, most of the time, don't even have the time to plan. So it's, it's such a, like a weird chicken and egg scenario because you got organizations that want to keep things lean, but at the same time, they want engineers to keep the lights on. And at the same time, they want to be able to plan for the future and you can't have it all. It's, it's not possible to have it all. So I think the, the answer in my opinion, and I know it's easier said than done. I understand people have budgets and, uh, you know, money doesn't fall off of trees But at the end of the day, if you want a successful technology team, you must invest into it. You know, listen, I know the sales folks are always going on really nice trips and they got, they're, they're flying first class and all the, take a little bit of money out of each team and maybe put it into the, into the technology team, do something, figure out something, you know, these, the CFOs and the, and the folks in the finance department are, are very smart folks. They can figure out a way and they have to, they have to figure out a way at this point, because again, we're not in a world anymore where you can just spin up active directory and have the server stay on for 10 years and you're good to go. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in that technology world anymore. We now live in a world where things are moving faster than ever, despite we've been saying that every year for however many years, but seriously, things are moving faster than ever right now. We have to upgrade faster than ever. We have to move faster than ever. We have to scale faster than ever. And it's just going to get worse. It's not going to get any better. So to prepare for that, organizations must have teams that are dedicated to these problems and they have to put the proper funding in place. Yeah. And and a lot of it is kind of, you know, cultural, you know, you have to establish a culture within your organization. I don't mean cultural, like your kind of culture, but, but culture of the organization. Right, 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 right. You know, we have to establish what is the values of that organization, because there there are people that you have to think about how how this typically occurs, you know, and and you and I and, and a lot of people know how this happens. But you have a developer, the developer has to get something done. You have a DevOps guy, that DevOps guy has to get something done. They're going to find the easiest way to, to meet their SLAs to get that done. 
then they have to figure out you know how to support that so if there's no planning if there's no money if there's no culture of of how to do this and and you know who to go to within the organization then it's it becomes a problem and that's why you know and culture starts from the top so you have to go from the top kind of down and and, and say hey you know what these are our kind of values this is what we want to do at the end of the day this is we want uptime and availability and we we value the planning we want to understand what your needs are you know but if you leave it up to somebody at the that's just trying to get their job done and you're not instilling any of this stuff then it's just going to be like what we said it's going to be very difficult to plan it's going to be very difficult to maintain these things and there's going to be more downtime because you know because of all these different elements that are added to it Right. Yeah. I, I remember years ago, I heard a great saying that is still true. The, fi- the fish rots from the head down. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> like you that. know, so it always starts at the top, right? If, yeah. if the leadership teams are not on board, the engineers and everybody else are not going to be able to ultimately do what they need to do. So, okay. With all of that, thinking about it from a cultural perspective, from a team perspective, moving back to the engineering piece, what do you think right now is the most complex piece of Kubernetes? You know, obviously the answer is a D all of the above, but what, what do you think is like the hardest thing for teams right now that you're seeing? I think it's more the complexity of the ecosystem. You know, I think that's the biggest complexity. I mean, Kubernetes itself is hard enough, but then trying to figure out what do you use? What is the right thing to put on top of it? I mean, think about it. I mean, you have all these different systems for storage, all these different networking capabilities. You have things like OPA for, for, you know, that one's a little bit easier because it seems to be taking off a little bit more, but there, there could always be other things that can, you know, create policy. And then you have not, that's just the policy. Then you need enforcement, like the gateway service and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's so many different things and that to me, it's, it's a barrier to entry. And, you know, so if you've been in it for a while, it's kind of evolved and you you kind of went with it. So it's a little bit easier but if you're trying to get into it, it's very hard. And I would also add one more element that a lot of people don't think about is that if you came from like Docker and you think that it works the same way as something like Docker, it's really a totally different kind of construct and different way of thinking. You know, I, I often have this conversation with, you know, when I was at Pertainer and some other places, you know, Docker to me, at least now is something that's been relegated to the dev pipeline. So you want to get, you know, you want to be someone who creates microservices, you're going to spin something up in Docker real quick. And the purpose of it is for development at this point, you know, really, I mean, I understand that people still use it for other things, trust me, but that's really kind of since Kubernetes came out, that's the common construct that you see is that people use Docker for that. And it doesn't work in the same way as Kubernetes. And it doesn't even have the same, you know, way of bringing things up and, and you have to think differently. So if, you, if you're going to think the same way of using Docker as in Kubernetes, then you're going to have problems, you know, because Docker is for creating at this point, you have a single thing. I know there's Swarm and I know there's other things, but, but Kubernetes is for when you want to connect everything together and ship it and create this network and, and have everything shipped and tied together and, and how you're going to inject it with things like Canary from a development lifecycle and do you need some things like a service mesh? You know, all these types of things you have to consider. So I think that that you have to realize that they're two unique and valuable things, but they're there's something you have to think about them differently. So I think there's a lot of things there that are very complex. Yeah. So I, I think really overall the 
the majority of Kubernetes complexity right now, from what you're saying, isn't necessarily uh, the landscape in itself, like the actual architecture of Kubernetes. It's more, what do you use to get it up <laughs> yeah. and running? And, and yeah. this is, you know, I, this is the way that I always think about Kubernetes. I don't know if you've ever walked into a house that was just put up by builders, but uh, for everybody that hasn't, essentially when you walk in, it's just wood because the outside is up and, and insulation. That's usually about it. That's Kubernetes. You know, like when you walk into a house like that, yeah, there's a little carve out over here for where you might put your bathroom, but there's no plumbing. There's maybe some carve outs over here for some rooms. Maybe there's a few carve outs in the ceiling for where you're going to put your ceiling fans, but the electric isn't there. That's Kubernetes. Kubernetes is a carve out. It's up to you. It's a, it's a choose your own adventure. You choose the CSI that you're using. You choose the CNI that you're using. You choose the monitoring solution that you're using. You choose the observability solution that you're going to use. It's, it's literally, you know, a, a pick, pick your own battle, choose your own adventure. And you're absolutely right. I think that's the complexity behind it. It's, it's not that Kubernetes is complex. Scheduling a container isn't complex. Figuring out how you're going to do it is the complex part. So totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, really, when you think about it, if you really want to simplify it, then Kubernetes is a, you know, API first control plane. For your, you know, for, for it's, it's, you know, a lot of people call it the OS for the, the operating system for the cloud, but really that's what it is. It's the control plane and it's just managing a bunch of things. You know, you happen to manage that with YAML or, or JSON or whatever way you want to do it. But at the end of the day, it's a control plane. So whatever you put in to add on to that control plane is, is your choice, but there's a lot of choices. Yep. Choose your own adventure. It makes it really, really complex. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Cool, Michael. So wrapping up here, where can everybody find you? Please feel free to plug your Twitter, LinkedIn, podcast, all that fun stuff. Anything you'd like. Yeah, sure. So I'm pretty much M Chenitz everywhere. M-C-H-E-N-E-T-Z. I know it's a really hard last name. You know, it's not like, you know, super simple, but on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on, you know, pretty much everywhere else, that's where you'll find me. Also, feel free to check out Cloud Unfiltered, where we have a equally good podcast about everything that is cloud tech and future tech and talking about industry trends. So that's about, that's about it. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. And thank you everybody for listening. Yeah. Thanks for having me.